Hi, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Ryan Juckett. Um, I am the sole creator of Inverses. And for the listeners out there, what is Inverses about? So Inverses is uh, it's, it's an interesting game to describe. We call it a negative space shooter. So basically, the, there is this board. It's a you know real time game where you're moving. You know, it's not turn based. And but it's on this tiled grid of black and white. And if you are playing on one side, you can only move on the white tiles. If you're playing on the other side, you can only move on the black tiles. And when you shoot, you basically open up where you can move by flipping the tile color. So every time you attack, you're basically changing the shape of the board and creating paths for you, walls for the other player. And you're in this like cat and mouse trying to shoot the other uh, your opponent. And for the listeners out there, is there a website they can check out while they're listening to the show to potentially you know, find out more information about it? Yeah, inversesgame.com is the site. Um, it's spelled I-N-V-E-R-S-U-S, like uh, inverses as in the competitive verses. Um, yeah. Okay. And what, what inspired you? And, and you were at the Indicate, right? Like you were at Indicate for, I think, esports, or, or can you clarify that? Or? Yeah, I was. I did the IndieCade showcase at E3, and the recent, more recently, the IndieCade proper down in uh, Southern California. Um, and yeah, they did a little esports tournament set up for it. And did did you con- when you were designing this game? Did you consider it like did you come at it from the point of an esports angle, or what? What was the inspiration, motivation? Um, it definitely it started as a let's make a single screen competitive game right originally it was just uh, local multiplayer you know now it's all online it's much bigger than that it's also got like a whole single player mode and stuff um but originally it was like just making a 1v1 competitive thing it wasn't specifically esports focused but more just you know a, a fun little rule set that was you know unique and exploring where that led to and yeah, I guess I guess what what inspired you to do? Because I know in the pre-interview you were talking about doing AAA games before that. Uh, what inspired you to to jump into designing this you know this this game solo? Um, I, I mean, I've always liked working on small teams, um, and I hadn't done that in a while. The uh, as a team of one, it's a very small team, um, but I like being very multidisciplinary, um, and I like also you know. Uh, my primary focus career-wise has always been uh, engineer with a side one on design. Um, and the whole thing is programmed from scratch, like no engines, no nothing. And I like, I just uh, really enjoy that process. And I'd been doing that for a while and eventually uh, had this idea for a game jam and ended up pursuing it later just to like try it out. And it was really fun. And it felt like something that um, just I wanted to make sure it got made because it was uh, nobody had made a like a negative space fighting game like that before, um, and just kind of yeah slowly went from there. So the initial idea was um, kind of born in a game jam. If I yeah, okay. it was. It didn't. I didn't actually make it in the game jam, but it was a concept, um, and then later. Because I was on Christmas break that year, I did a little prototype of it, and it 
you know, it just is one of those things where it's like, hey, I've never seen anyone do this. And it seems like it could be fun. And, you know, you could get this a bit more chess in your, uh, you know, very strategy focused, but super fast um, in this experience. And I just pursued that. And um, for the prototype, did you did you also do that from scratch or did you use uh, like an engine or something to maybe focus on? Um, no, it's all my own stuff. Um, I had been making sort of an engine and I wanted to make something to sort of like proof of concept like oh the whole engine works you can make a game on it it's not just um the bare bones like it goes the full distance of like here it's shippable um and this was originally just going to be like oh this will be my little small thing to prove out that it works and then i'll you know go and start like a bigger game but this ended up being sort of so fun and unique that i continued working on that longer than i initially intended and the engine that that you developed, you know, specific specifically for this, what what language was it made in? And um, it's all C plus plus. Okay. And I don't know, what what are your thoughts on the benefits of designing or developing your own engine versus you know because I, I also hear about these indie developers and they're using things like Unity and Corona and and some of these other things that allow them you know a broader reach. Sure. Um... So, I mean, there's different reasons to do it. Right? One would be I just want to learn how stuff works, right? And maybe, you know, uh, like if you've written something from scratch career-wise, you've probably, you're going to have a lot more opportunities because you're probably just going to be more knowledgeable about stuff by the end of it and have learned a lot of lessons. Um, but the other thing is if you want to do it and actually try to uh, not have it as just like a learning experience, but actually like make it more of a, I don't know, this is just how I want to make games commercially or whatever. Um, it's, it's hard. And I have, you know, I've been in the industry a while and I've worked on engines before. So I had, uh, I could do it a lot faster than, you know, most people probably could. Um, so that it's, it's like one of those things where you wouldn't just recommend someone go do this because it's going to be the, yeah. the best idea. There's a lot of good reasons to use a pre-built engine. Um, but when you do have that advantage of you, you are able to do it, I can make things exactly how they need to be and do things that you might not be able to do in a Unity. Um, like the way Inversus is networked, um, is it's networked more like a fighting game and it's in a it's this system that's called like rollback-based networking and it makes it really responsive and it feels really good online. You don't feel lag that much. And doing that in something like Unity or Unreal is a lot harder than it is in my engine um, because I was able to program it around that concept. But to be fair, you would have been able to do that in Unity and in Unreal, like that type um, of networking, or do you feel that it would have gotten in the way? Because sometimes these engines do have some limitations. So to do rollback like I did it, no, you could not do it in either of those. Oh wow! Okay. Um, the you could do versions of it that would be a lot more prone to bugs um like if you want the like the technical specifics of it are like like uh like the way rollback works is you say like oh i'm just gonna keep playing you know if you're playing a fighting game right you're playing street fighter and like the last thing you heard was oh ken you know he pressed the light punch button or whatever 
and then he was pressing forward. Um, and unless Ken says he, unless you hear from him, I let go, you're just going to assume, oh, he's still holding that button and he's still holding forward or whatever. And you're just going to keep moving the simulation forward. So you're hitting inputs exactly how you want. And then if you hear a little bit later, it comes over the network. No, he let go of that button like five frames ago. Yeah. It's actually going to behind the scenes, like rewind time, play it forward again, those five frames, like all in the span of one frame that you see, right? But it's just like happening really quick. And then it'll get it so it happened exactly where it did. And if he was going to hit you, it would hit you. And if not, it would not. But like, so you might see him pop a little, but from your experience, it doesn't lag at all, which like in an older Street Fighter game that was networked or like, you know, back when fighting is our first network, you would feel a lot of this input lag and then you don't get that anymore. Okay. Um, and in my game, I can literally just take like all the memory and just like make a copy of it and then just quickly swap it out. And that just rewinds immediately. Where in something like Unity or Unreal, you would have to do this complicated process of taking every little variable and property on everything and storing it off and it would be slow and probably get like a lot more frame spikes from it. Um, where in my thing, I could just do like one line of code and it just, you know, it does this big like memory copy, but it's like so yes. much faster. Um, and it's, you know, probably getting a little tech heavy, but it's a thing that. Yeah, I, I mean, at least in now, from what I've seen, you know, just um, talking to other indie developers is that, you know, at least as as Unity and, and these like you know these these game engines proliferate, um, one of the advantages an indie can have potentially is is understanding the fundamentals, so that you can create this kind of gameplay in a way that would be structurally very hard in Unreal or Unity or whatever the next game engine is going to be. Certainly. And and you know, with that said, I guess how how did you develop those technical skills or like you know what do you have any recommendations or suggestions for developers who want to understand the fundamentals? Uh, curiosity, <laughs> okay. right? That'll, that'll get yeah. you 99% of the way. Um, generally when someone's curious about it, they will find their way through it. Right. And they'll just like want it. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I've been able to work on teams where I was responsible for a lot of different, uh, engineering stuff you know everything from like the more fancy graphics side down to the more boring like uh you know multilingual font system side um and they're both complicated problems um and like you know a lot of times people will just maybe pursue the like you know i want to see how you do like cool shadows and stuff and not how i write a asset system um and that's just as important if not more important and having like if someone wants to you know, you're just going to start making stuff you're gonna nowadays um the handmade hero series is really cool um that's sort of walking through an example of making something from scratch um yeah i don't know there's so many resources now it's hard to say it's yeah. a little different from when i first learned What's what's also interesting is that normally the, at least maybe maybe this was a while back, but the, the developers who are working on the engine stuff, they're not necessarily focused on coming up with new gameplay. So so where does where does that come from on your side? I mean, because that's obviously 
different um, than than what I've seen, you know, at least with some other people in the industry. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think once again, it just comes down to what you're passionate about, right? Um, I've always liked, you know, making little worlds or systems or rule sets and seeing them unfold and exploring them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I got into games for a reason, right? And it's because it's, it's what I, it, it just like sort of encapsulates a ton of different things that I'm interested yes. in. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, as you just keep growing as a developer, you learn more and more about what you like and what you're looking for. And I'm not really, I mean, like it's one of those things where I think like if you want to pursue both of those aspects, you will. Yeah. Well, I think, I think one of the other things is that as games, you know, get more broad and mainstream, there's just a whole bunch of new systems that will be accessible to game developers, provided they have the skills and talent to, to kind of tap into them. And, and those, those systems may not even necessarily be around, you know, traditional game mechanics, but even, you know, data like photos, like I've seen photo based games and some of these other types of things. And I mean, is that, is that something that you also explore or, or, or what are your thoughts on kind of these other new types of systems that potentially could impact gameplay? Um, not quite sure I follow the question there. So when you're saying photos. Yeah, I mean, well, there's like, for example, the game that you designed um, with mm-hmm. Versus, it's, you know, it was initially single player. Or, I mean, it was, I mean, on a single device. Yep. And and yet, because, you know, because of your knowledge of, of maybe networking from before or something else, you were able to then extend that. You were able to broaden it into a concept that... Um, makes it more accessible to more people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, do you do you spend any time trying to discover or find other new types of systems that we don't, as game developers, it's not even well known, but it may come up later on. So, and maybe this goes against AAA, but you know the concept of, of even social games back in the day, where it was built on a social network, mm-hmm. and that was a system, you know, that kind of social networking like you know building a game on a on a social network that the systems behind that and, and making that successful were not well known or understood right. and so i guess really okay the real question I'm, I'm asking is is what is your process for maybe discovering or finding new systems aside from the prototyping which which we'll get into yeah um i mean so at the level you're speaking, um, which is like a very fundamental how you interact or play with it type stuff. I'm not sure. I mean, like at the at the mechanics level, you know, where where inverses is like playing with uh, what I see is the inverse of what you see, sort of. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a lot of just like sitting. You know, like you know, like throwing ideas out at friends, or just sitting there quietly in the shower, right, and just like waiting for, you know, it's like thinking of different properties and what are ways that things should be able to interact in a way that has uh, a logic to it um, that can be placed in rules, but 
at the same time does not exist in our reality, right? I think that creates interesting spaces to explore as far as like if you're looking for something that's going to screw with someone's brain a bit. Um, you know, like Braid is a great example of that, right? Where it's yeah. like, let's take these things and it's a sort of, the rules all make sense, but it's it's not going to work out in the real world. Um, and it was actually interesting within Versus because of that, where it would be great in some ways if, you know, it's a very abstract looking game. Uh, it's very minimalist aesthetic. And it would be great to say, oh, I can project some uh, more relatable characters onto it or environments or even like an aesthetic that, you know, like you could imagine being like, oh, what if it looked like a tiled floor or something, right? Yeah. And it like popped out as something I could more relate to in reality, um, which would help, I think, just from an image, pull people in. But mechanically, the more I would explore stuff like that, the more it would then take it away from this, like, you can look at this picture as if you're playing on the white side or the black side, and all of a sudden what's a wall becomes a path and vice versa. And it was less that mental state of trying to parse that, which is, you know, fun to do, um, would start to disappear, right? Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't about this, like, these two sides are exactly the same, but opposite. And it would be more like you're splitting it more or you wouldn't believe in that as much. Um, and that was a, so like creating it. So something that was so like weird and puzzly, uh, sort of created a lot of problems like that sort of went off on a tangent, I guess, but yeah. Well, so you're saying that even potentially adding a theme to the game would have messed up kind of the, the flow because it would trigger something else in your mind versus at least the, the ones I tried. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you which know, is, like you, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, like you could imagine a version of the game, um, where say like on the extreme case, you could say like, Oh, the white side is all water. Right. And the black side is all land. Yeah. And then when you're, you know, you're shooting something that's like tearing up the land if you're on the white side and creating water and on the, on the other side, you're like throwing down logs or something, right? And you're like, oh, it's like fish versus beavers and you can make this cute aesthetic <laughs> on top of it. Um, but it loses that like that mind game a bit um, yeah. and some of that allure when it's in motion and you're playing it. Um, but you could make a good argument that were it like that and were it super cutesy, you might get a lot more people into it up front, right? And then yeah. once they get deep in it, it might not hold as well, but is that better or worse? It's hard to say. Um, yeah, this is this is kind of what I was alluding to with, with kind of referencing systems that aren't quite obvious. So, I mean, like like you even said, the visual aesthetics of, of Inversus lends itself potentially to being able to get in, like, you know, to enjoy it. Maybe not initially to attract someone into the game, but there might be a process, you know, a part of our brain that can process that in, in a way that allow, allows it to be more immersive and addictive when you're playing with someone else because of the color scheme. Now, that's not necessarily a mechanic as, as we would think of in terms of game mechanics, but, you know, I mean, it's, it seems to be critical, at least in this case, from what, what you just said, to 
to communicating, you know, the fun of the game. Yeah, it's part of just like getting that. I wanted each side to feel exactly like playing the other side and that that inverse negative space type mechanic to like be as pure as it could. And, you know, this just seemed to work the best in that. Um, yeah. I don't, are you familiar with Ralph Coster or? Uh, yeah, not everything he's ever written, okay. but yes. Because <laughs> um, the reason, so I think at least for the listeners out there, I mean, that's something to consider is that even in addition to some, you know, programming the gameplay or some of the, some of the more hardcore aspects or, you know, of game design where it's like really clear, this is a mechanics, this is a system. There are um, like all these other facets in terms of maybe how, how the eyes respond to color or how the brain responds to certain things that, that can also have an impact in terms of the actual game. I mean, not, not just from an aesthetic point of view, but, um, but like as you were mentioning in terms of um, just how it impacts um, the feel. And, and also the fun of your game. And, and so with that said, when you, when you prototype the idea, uh, what, what were your, I mean, I guess what, what was the, the next step after those prototypes to, to, to get a sense of, okay, is this is going to definitely be fun or, or I need to change this to actually make it fun or did you have to do much of that? So, you know, like I like I wanted this, chess like aspect to it of I can make a move and you know lock in or change what choices you can make because of it right the idea was like oh I'm going to block you in I'll trap you and getting it from the prototype to that was a lot of tuning and like just finding ways to put constraints on what you could do at any one time um, because initially you know I had a uh, I mean, at first I started off, I made a little piece of concept art, which it, like, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, they're doing like smart stuff and blocking each other in and it's super cool. But then you, know, you put it in reality and I had this little board, it was just divided down the middle and, you know, one guy started on one side, the other guy started on the other side and you could just press the buttons to shoot at some like fire rate or whatever. And, you know, the first thing you do is you just immediately start spamming bullets at each other um, from left to right or right to left, right? Because you just started you know, sort of on the horizontal from each other. And it's not, um, like, it does not encourage this interesting, like, cat and mouse thing. It's just like, oh, let's just start and start spamming bullets and see who can shoot more of them, right? Um, and they're going to break through and kill the other guy. And to get it from there to where it is now, it's just, like, layers and layers and layers of small choices from, you know, like, how ammo reloads, how fast each bullet comes back, how fast... You can shoot them out, how much ammo you have, making it so when you start off, um, you know, there is a map that's just a square still. It's the first map in the game, but instead of just splitting it down the middle and putting you each on one side, I split it down the middle and then in each side cut two more little holes in it, sort of kind of like a yin-yang symbol, and put you in there because that way you can't, you know, you can go up or left and the other guy's in the other corner, so you can go right or down but you can't directly shoot at each other off the bat. So you, the first thing you have to do is make a decision of, am I going to go vertically or horizontally? Cause I got to do something to get towards this guy. And from that first decision, you are now modifying the board in a way that's just going to start unfolding into this like play space that, 
you know, based on what that choice was, it just sort of butterflies effect out of the out of the gate. And you from there, it like just starts forcing you into this cat and mouse chess game and not into a spammy like let's just throw bullets at each other and then have it not do much of anything, right? Yeah. And and while you're making these changes as you're programming it, how are you just determining whether this is a step back or a step forward or um so preferably you're changing stuff and then playing it with someone and evaluating, right? Yeah. Um, well that's what I was gonna also say is how were did you have someone else there that could potentially test it as you were changing or did you did you have to kind of not always play yourself? Okay. <laughs> um the I would try to make it so it was pretty easy for me to toggle certain things in different directions when I did have someone to play. Um, cause yeah, you know, I was making it a two player game solo, um, and eventually a four player game. Uh, and that's not easy and also not recommended. Um, but I did it and the, so I'd make it so like, okay, I'd play and then I would take a ton of notes. Um, and then change things and try to evaluate them alone by just like projecting mentally what was going to happen and then get it to a subset where it was like, okay, I want to experiment with these and try to find someone to play those with me and um, sort of turn them on and off in different ways and see like, okay, this seems like the path I want to pursue. You know, and some systems locked down pretty quick. Some took, you know, years to finally hit somewhere I was happy with. Um, so, yeah. Can you, can you discuss one of those systems that did take years to? Sure. To um, probably the most notable is the Parry uh, system, which is a very skilled thing you can do in the game where if you shoot back at a bullet like you know, some number of frames right before it hits you. Um, it will, instead of just like canceling out, it'll actually bounce it back. Um, and it feels really cool and stuff and it's a super advanced tactic. But the reason it's there is not just to be this like high skill level play. Um, it's actually the result of another system in the game, which is you can charge up your shots and making it so the charge shot didn't have a bunch of problems. And so if I so if I step it back a bit, initially the game was just oh you'd press a button and it would shoot a bullet in that direction. And it was the game's fun like that, but it's not you want a little more depth, um and we had depth in different ways, but you want to like the more choices that are interesting that I can present to you at any one second is going to sort of make the game a lot more fun, right? Because you're always evaluating, oh, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Yeah. And one of the things you can do at any time is hold down a fire button and your guy will charge up for a little under a second and then you're locked in the direction you're charged, but when you let go, you'll only spend one ammo, but three lanes of bullets come out. And once you... So that added a ton of depth to the game because like you're moving slower when you're charged and it's this interesting choice because you're opening up more space for you and it's harder for the other person to dodge it and you can like now shoot to like rows that are adjacent to you from your row if you're charged up and all this interesting depth comes out of that. But for the control scheme, 
you always want your stuff to happen when you press a button um, because it feels snappy. Yeah. And in this case where I was like, you're going to charge this up, that means you can't shoot when you press the button down because um, the bullet has to come out when you release because I have to know if you've held it a long time or not. And that feels really bad. And I tried and tried and tried a bajillion ways to like maybe when you press, it still shoots a bullet and then you charge and you shoot more after or you press and start shooting and then pulls it back. So that way it's right. And like I iterated and iterated of like take the charge system out, put it back in, take it out, put it back in because it felt so good with you if your bullets hit right when you press the button. And, you know, when you're moving laterally and you try to line up a shot, if you have it on release, it feels crappy. Um, and what I ended up doing, well, so, and the other thing that happens too, is if you are if a bullet's coming at you and you, you normally can shoot back and cancel. Well, if I press before it hits me and I don't release, then I die and I'm like, Hey, I hit the button. Oh, yeah. This game's okay. crap, right? <laughs> Who wrote this? Um, and you get angry and I, had to attack this from a bunch of ways. I did some stuff to make it so it felt more accurate when you pressed it, which is uh, another story. But like in the case of getting shot, I was like, I need something here. Um, so what I did was I said, okay, when you've pressed the button, it you are now protected. Um, and if the bullet hits you in that time when you've pressed it, within some number of frames, but you haven't released it yet, it then like absorbs it basically. And then when you release another bullet comes out or you can actually like press and hold and absorb it into your charge and then let go. But it created this parry mechanic that added this high skill game, which I I'd, it was another thing I'd been looking for to just have something to like look at this like high skill move that was very clear. Like, oh my God, he did this like... Uh, you know, very good thing with his hands, right? Like this tactile, yeah. like a special move or whatever. But at the same time, it now it took the case where the game felt its worst when you thought you were going to like block a bullet, but you died instead, right? And you were like, this is the worst thing ever. And now it made it into one of the best feeling moments in the game because what would happen is you would actually parry the bullet and you felt really good at that time. Um, and so that's why that system's in there. But it took me you know, two years to get to that. Um, Do you feel that adding that complexity or, you know, you know, the, the time it took to add that kind of depth is worth it? I mean, have you seen, I guess, I guess in terms of the reflection of what players do and, and how they react to that now, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think that's, that's an issue that some game developers have is what's, because you had the core idea initially, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so, it's a balance between, you know, working with the simplicity of the core idea, but also adding the depth and some of these other subtle nuances that may actually sometimes get in the way. You know, if, if people aren't willing to put in the time that you've put in to actually like explore all those nuances of the, of the minor changes that you're making. Yeah. I mean, I think I, were that not there, I would consider the game to have this flaw in it, right? Um, yeah. You know, whether that, and that flaw would have either been there isn't the depth of this charge mechanic or it would have been it, from a control standpoint, it is, uh, it feels sloppy because you're getting shot or it's not accurate enough. Um, 
and like so i wouldn't well you could have potentially removed the concept of being able to hold down something to to, to have that charge that's what i mean like i think oh, yeah. at that point it's flawed in that there is you're you're there's lots of moments of downtime where there's not enough going on in your mind of like what okay. should i be doing right now and it's just it's a it, there would be more shallow of what it was doing um and it wouldn't have the it wouldn't hold you wouldn't be able to keep playing it for as long um again and again and like have it not get stale i think um and that was a thick because i if i felt comfortable with that i would have done that like instantly because it, it does it, it it solves a lot of other problems right but it just needed it needed another layer on top of it um for like just you questioning what i should be doing at any given time um and just like opening up the complexity of you predicting there's a lot of mind games right of me predicting what you're going to be doing and what you might be doing it just like wasn't the like it just shoot left right up down is not it's not enough i don't think to entertain someone's brain properly um well let's let's talk about the depth you know adding depth and layers to to the gameplay so that i mean I mean, for, for you as a, as a designer, how do you go about doing that in a way that allows you to successfully find some of the nuances of, of adding that, that next layer or, or increased depth? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's in practice, you're looking at this like skill of being able to gauge like, okay, this is not as fun as it could be right this second. And what is that because I'm not thinking as much or is it because the game is not rewarding me as much as it could be right now? Um, you know, with just feedback and oomph and particles or whatever. Right. Um, cause there's two ways to sort of attack that sometimes yeah. the, and finding like how to solve the what choices do I have? Um, I think you know, anytime you can layer something in that has multiple uses um, on different axes is uh, it's kind of a weird way to say it, but like it like like in versus like it does this to a very much higher degree than you usually do of like you know shooting opens up where you can move it blocks incoming projectiles it also attacks other opponents um and it, there's a lot of ways to do that one thing so it's got a lot of depth in that one action of i've got this one resource of ammo what am i going to use it for um and where you imagine you have all these like you know graphs of like usefulness of all these different things right based on what you're doing and you're trying to see which one is the maximal at any one time um 
where I've just got this one, you know, because once I spend that resource, it's I need another one. I need new ammo. Um, uh, I think having things have like multiple ways that can be used, right? That creates a lot more interesting choices. Um, I don't know if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, one question though is, so you're saying in, in the middle of a play test session or, you know, you're playing the game, there, there might be a lull. And, yeah. And, and so, and that's where you're feeling like, okay, well, what can I do? I mean, for the designers out there, so, so as they say, potentially play their game, you know, they're, they're going into it, they may feel a lull. And then you would potentially say, okay, um, what can I do to either potentially allow more choices at this moment or to. So, to so yeah, I can give you a good example, actually. Yeah. Um, so, a long time playing, you know, I had this ammo system, right? And that created this, this, I could, I could, you know, faint you to spend more ammo than you should have, and then I can block you in, and then you can't escape because you don't have stuff to shoot with, and then I can trap you and kill you, right? And it's like, bam, there's the premise of the game. Um, but when you don't have any ammo or you're low and you're just waiting for ammo to come back, um, you can move around and dodge or whatever, and you've got that choice of, like, should I start spending now or should I wait for my full ammo to reload? Um, but that, it felt... The, the delta between that and the highs of like me and you are sort of going back and forth and like just bare, you know, barely escaping and stuff, it was large and it would, it would, you could just feel like I felt a little frustrated or bored at that point when I was out, right? Um, like there wasn't much I could do and it was like, this feels like I just feel like I got this, I'm just waiting to get killed and there's, I'm either, they're either going to screw up or whatever. And I needed something to be doing there. And, you know, you explore lots of stuff. So, like, for examples of things I explored that are not in the game, um, I was like, okay, so you're reloading. What if we did some sort of, you know, active reload type thing? Like, there's a way you can reload faster. Um, like, maybe, you know, if you spin the stick, because, like, the re you know, there are stuff like this rotating revolver of bullets. And, like, maybe you can somehow, like, wind it up better or maybe if you like tap the button a bunch just to like try to like increase my reload speed or whatever or you you know just like lots of different like input things just to sort of give your hands something to do because um, when your hands are not moving and you're not doing much and you're not there's not many tactics to think about it's just like that's it's just it falls apart um, and you just want something to be like oh now you're doing this and now you're back to this right to keep you engaged and those didn't pan out, and what ended up working was I eventually added pickups to the game that are at like uh, standard spawn points on every map. So, yeah, you might be playing map two, and it's like, oh, they spawn in the corners, and those at the time I think they did kind of what they do now, where they give you like this fast shot um, as your next bullet. But those spawn points, if you don't hold them then the other person can get the pickup. And if you shoot that block, it breaks the pickup. So it it added the idea of me wanting to constantly be holding like the four corners of the map because if I can get the ammo for free without waiting for it to reload, and it's also super ammo, it's really advantageous. And like when I was in those down points, it it added enough of like either... I was, there was going to be something spawning that I was connected to so I could now move towards it to pick up more ammo or it gave me enough more like 
strategic stuff to just plan on the board that I might not have had time to do when I was playing of like, okay, I can see he's got these points. These are coming in. So I'm not just watching him anymore. I'm also watching what stuff's about to spawn. He might go towards that. I should really be focused on getting, once I do get ammo, taking that point back because I can get it before the ammo spawns there and then I can get it. And it just added enough for you to mentally engage with that it sort of mitigated how it felt. Um, you know, there's still points where it's like you just be completely blocked in and then it's like if you're just blocked in on one square, yeah. it's sort of, I think it's okay that you can't do much because that's like the, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? And like everybody's yelling. Um, but it's when you're like trapped on half the map and you don't have any ammo and it's like, well, I can move around, but it's whatever. Now you can sort of move towards these points and it like gives you some direction and that sort of, uh, you know, is a very different solution than the active reload, uh, tap, tap, tap or whatever, but it, it engaged you in enough of a way that you, you had something to focus on, um, and it ended up really helping a lot. And, and what's interesting about this approach versus maybe something that I would potentially see from another game designer is that they would potentially add visual effects or some of the particle stuff you're talking about. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, is that, is that um, also needed? Or? I mean, in this case specifically? Um, well, yeah. But I don't know about this case specifically. I guess they wouldn't perceive it at the level you're perceiving it it at where it's like you know um you know this this specific point is boring or this you know specific stage is is boring and and what can i do to actually potentially improve it and then experiment and find out new like i guess would you call it then layering other systems that that add that yeah i mean choice or layering systems that sort of have a broad effect on the on the whole game right um is usually creates this interesting system with uh stuff that emerges out of it right um yeah because there's so much stuff going on but i mean like effects and stuff like that are you know of huge importance too on just like getting really selling all your actions, right? Um, selling that their impact and their purpose and their usefulness and communicating to the player, like you are doing the right thing right now. Um, and that can take something that is important to do, but maybe looks maybe like very important for how well you're doing this game, but is maybe a little, benign um you, know, you can use effects and stuff to make it feel more interesting and sort of get it uh in line with its usefulness right like remove any dissonance there and i but but at the same time um you were mentioning that even potentially some of the effects are you know in terms of maybe theme or whatever else did get in the way yeah, I mean, it depends. Like in, this, in the specific case of inverses, um, you know, there's lots of subtle little effects that happen. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, the on the, but they're all like in the aesthetic of the game, right? Like yeah, the, that's true. 
you know, the way the characters explode or the way the bullets hit the walls and the way the tiles split apart. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's actually a lot of particles. It's funny because, like, the game, it looks deceptively simple um, as far as what's happening. You know, it, it, I mean, it's, it is simple compared to, like, something extreme case, but it looks a lot more simple than it is. Um, where once you actually look at everything going on on screen and all the little particles bouncing around and wrapping around the boards and stuff, um, it's actually, there's a decent chunk going on there. It's just all um, sort of subdued into the aesthetic. Uh, yeah. And Well, in terms of effects, I guess what, I mean, can you mention some of the, um, I guess, design choices you made in terms of visual effects or, or audio effects that... Um, I guess help help yeah. the experience. So, I mean, the big thing is making sure when when a ship exploded, it had impact, right? Okay. Um, that was the probably the thing spent the most time on, um, and you know when the when it breaks, a lot of things happen there um to make it smooth and just like feel good um from it and also to like make sure there's no edges on it like i wanted everything to be very like you you didn't see the video game digital elements of like you know like you'll see a game sometimes and there'll be you know some bullet trail and it'll clip into the wall and you see that straight line there and it like loses its volume and it just it doesn't it like you start to see like oh there's the polygons right yeah um where in inverses it does so you know there's trails and all the bullets and stuff and it does a lot to sort of intelligently get those off screen without seeing that meaning like once a bullet dies it'll like based on how far it how long the trail is at that point and whatever it'll determine how fast it should suction the trail back in so you don't see it like just sitting there in space and it'll like put a little like bubble explosion at the end and make sure the trail suctions into the explosion before it collapses back down it happens really quick but normally the trail lasts for a long time and it's something you, you wouldn't notice like oh it actually does this very different thing all of a sudden but um you know, so when you shoot something, it's like spawns this bubble. As that bubble goes through the other player, it doesn't just spawn a ton of little like particles on the other ship. It actually divides it up. And if you frame by frame it, you'll see their ship like shatter. Um, and you'll see like the little revolver on it shatter off and everything. And it goes like super quick, but it just, there's no pop there. It felt, it had a lot of impact, but it felt very clean. Um, the whole, you know, the screen shakes, but then also like at the edges, if you look at them, it has a bit of like a, you know, like I wanted it to feel like the game has a bit of a neo retro arcade feel to it, right? It's like, yeah, it's this could, like this couldn't run on an Atari, but it feels like if we just kept evolving the Atari up until 2016. Um, and I wanted it to feel like you kicked an old TV or something when that thing hit. So at the edges of the screen, like the colors will actually break down a bit and split and they'll shake. Um, 
and like the focus of the screen is always nice and clear but there's just like lots and lots of little things that layer like that um you know and you add each one it's just a little bit more a little bit more but when they all come together you get this sort of thing that you can't really describe any one part because it's just a bunch of little things adding up um you know from that to the controller shake to the the sound of it um and then just watching all the particles like first off stuff where it's just like oh when you layer enough of this stuff together on every axis you can possibly give feedback on then you get this like nice chunky like feeling of oomph right when you hit that person um and then you just try to like do that as many places as you can um like i think the feedback on communicating when you're fully charged uh if i was if i didn't if I was still working on the game and just like never shipping it, I would have continued on that more. I think there is room to improve on that um, in the audio and visual aspect of it. Um, it was very challenging on the audio side to make stuff, make sounds that were going to be happening all the time that were not annoying and didn't blow out the mix too much. Um, like like the sh like the shooting sound is a great example of that where you hear it yeah again and again and again and making it not there's a lot of that problem in the game more so than in um a lot of other games I've worked on of just that like audio repetition and dealing with making everything sort of easy on the ears yeah how how did you deal with that because you're definitely right that can um, that can happen in in, in certain cases the um so i so the music on the game i contracted out um and but i did all the sound design and everything else uh i would have loved to do the music but it was too far out of my skill set um and i knew just based on i had never really done sound design before this game um and i to like go okay here's the limitations of what i'm comfortable with doing how can i build something that's going to work with that etc you know i took that let's make a slightly more high fidelity version of very retro sounds because the game has that sort of aesthetic and feel and everything um but it like it took me so long to make the simplest sound of just like it, it was just a lot of just they're all synthesized from scratch um okay. like using uh mostly like subtractive synthesis. Um, there's not really any sounds that were added, like sound live. Like, I don't think there's any sampled sound in the whole game. I think it's all synthesized. Um, and okay. I did all, like, I, I learned a lot. There was like so much of it was just like, all right, let's just randomly try moving knobs around for days. And then like, eventually you can't like hear anything different anymore because you've heard it so much. And then you, yeah go to it again the next day and do it again and again. And I don't like as far as how to achieve anything, I don't have a great thing uh, there, but as far as being able to play it and say, this is bad, I think I was able to take off all the rough edges. I think there's a plenty of room for improvement um, in areas. Uh, but I definitely like hit a point where I was happy with it. Um, of like, okay, it all feels good. It hits the right notes, but I, you know, 
you could probably make some cool like with more experience right like you can yeah. always do better um but yeah it was a lot of just like trying to play and make sure it didn't sound bad turning off the music making sure you could play it like that and like the music complemented it and they occupied different you know freak like soundscapes so you could always hear one thing over the other like it would be very it was very tempting to make retro-y chip type you know glitchy music or whatever but the music's very clean house which goes with the clean aesthetic of the game but it also separates the music from the actual retro sound effects so you can hear one over the other um and that was a very intentional um decision that was made you know going going through the back to the concept of layering um i guess have there been situations where you know, as, as you're layering certain components or, or offsets of, of core systems, they conflict with each other. I mean, have you noticed that? And do, or, or, or is the layering approach something where it doesn't even lend itself to that design challenge potentially? Um, I mean, yeah, you could certainly make stuff that uh, conflicts or reduces the impact of some other system. Um, trying to think of different like examples that might fit that as far as like and and i guess in the life cycle of the of the development of the game there are going to be layering like certain systems are going to take priority in terms of layering or building on top of those versus other ones because i feel like maybe the visual stuff doesn't have to come in up front or, or even midway it could be done towards the end or what are your thoughts on that you know some of the subtle effects that you're talking about sure i mean so as far as like putting we're not talking about layering systems which is like you know like okay i have all these visuals i have the audio i have the gameplay i have the like the rumble all this stuff right um i would talk a lot about especially when making this because one nice thing about the game because it is so like pure in that like it's you know it's down to like it's mechanics right there's not not like storyline it's not this stuff it's like this is just like this is game at its purest form and you can really dig into some stuff because it is so like pure and exposed and raw like that. Um, there's this thing where you can say like, okay, what if, let's say you have like two bullets colliding, right? What if I played just the, the, the visuals for that? Can I, how good can I make this purely on like visual effects of like how they, hit and maybe there's like a bit of or like a guy hitting a wall right like oh he does a little squish up against it or he does this stuff and like get the visuals to a point where you can like practically hear it right and then you could say like oh well what if you turned the visual stuff off and it was just like the really simple like just like hit again and now what if i tried to sell that with audio like as much as i could right and make it so it, it could almost just sell on the audio alone and then go okay now let's just try to like sell it with just like the impact of like the rumble on the controllers or like if you look at all these things and like every one on its own can really deliver and then you layer them together it should just be this you know assuming you haven't made them in complete different directions in silos but um yeah you should be able to like put them together and just have this piece at the end that just is you know more than the sum of its parts right um and i it's not I, like sometimes I'll think about stuff like that or just like let's look at because it's easy when you're seeing stuff all together 
yeah to be hard to see the parts that are not delivering as hard as they could be right like who's the slacker on the team because the end result is good but if you start to sort of look at each thing individually that can help at times but you know you do need to see it as, as the whole as well right it's going back and forth okay um, so sometimes you would potentially turn off other systems or layers just so you can have more emphasis on what's going on with a specific layer oh definitely yeah um you know and a big thing there is like yeah like turning off you know like audio is such a huge part in a game right and uh as far as believability and like just making just amping everything up and if you turn it off you know a lot of times it's it's very surprising you know when you play something without audio how different it feels um and it's usually like something is not holding up its end of the bargain right of delivering on the intricacies of what's going on um the action reaction of stuff and as you're as you're developing this game how are you potentially finding someone else to play it against you that that can really provide you real feedback yeah so luckily i you know having worked in games for a long time um i'm i you know know a lot of people that work on games and they can that with like a lot of experience and can give solid feedback about stuff um the i would and then just to like let me create feedback too i would try to sort of set up a game night with a bunch of multiplayer you know single screen games um and slip this in the middle of it right so we play some other stuff and then play in versus for a bit and then go back to playing other games and that would sort of be an excuse to get people to play test for me um especially when it came to playing uh four player um the that was very hard to test out um and for a long time the game wasn't online had i made it online multiplayer earlier it would have been easier to do a lot of that because i didn't have to get people in person yeah um but that i didn't commit to online until extremely late in the dev cycle so what what inspired you to to commit to online everyone's saying you needed to do it or there was no way to make a game like that anymore um okay after you hear that enough like and even then like (laughs) what's that no who is saying it because you know the other issue you said you mentioned you you know a lot of people in the games industry sometimes their their perspective it works for a certain demographic but it may not you know attract in it it, it may not make it accessible or, or even attractive to to another type of audience which which you may or may not be trying to attract you know but I, I don't know. I've just, I've just seen it where it's like, like, like it's sometimes they can, sometimes the other, like, especially if you know people in AAA, they're just, they're in a different reality. You know, it's, it's totally different, I feel. So I'm just surprised that you're able to get like really good or useful feedback from that versus just even having a random person who normally likes to play these types of games on Steam or something. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, in the AAA space play lots of small, they play games of all kinds, right? Okay. Um, and especially for like, 
quality feedback and actual like deep design breakdown, I think that is the place to go. Like, cause people in that space are very specialized and focused on making yeah. something as good as it possibly can be. Right. For, um, for that audience. Right. I mean, for, for the audience that they're mainly engaged with or, or who's, you know, who, who's buying their games. I, and the yes reason and I know, okay. I the reason, like, <laughs> go well, ahead. like creating something that feels good, right. Yeah. Um, is something, you know, you're gonna, the discussions of like how to implement something that like just has this perfect feel or has just like, as far as like the craft of game development goes, you're going to get in my experience like so like such a higher magnitude of interesting discussion on that on the triple a space if you're talking about more high level vision type stuff i think you might get more in the indie space where it's more um singular vision and less you know thousands of people working on a thing yeah um and like, you know, once, like that's not a hard rule, right? You're going to get well, yeah, and, bad and each so, side. But if you were to like generalize, I think you could see that. Um, and sometimes it's, what do you feel about even just avoiding game designers or game developers altogether and just finding random people who normally play games? So, for example, you know, I don't know if you play any mobile games, but early on, the concept of a mobile game was not even taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's now a, a huge part of the game, you know, the game industry. But at that point, it wasn't really the game developers that would give you the right design perspective, potentially. There might have been a few who were actually in that space already, but those games didn't even make sense to, or, you know, those interactive experiences didn't even make sense to a lot of the game designers or developers. And and the reason I bring that up is because sometimes as indie developers, if you're doing something that's totally off on a tangent, it may even be dangerous to to even show that to people who are used to, you know, they're, they're, they have a sense of, okay, this is what a game is and this is what a game isn't. And yet at the same time, like you were saying, those people do have that sense of like those invisible layers and systems that can you know, at least those concepts can, you can potentially port them over to what, what you're doing. So, so yeah, so I think we've got like a few questions stacked up here. So before I get to that one, as far as the networking one, like that was more feedback on just like a business aspect from people who had been shipping local multiplayer games. Okay. Okay. Um, of like all we would get is just complaints about no networking and, it's like that period of being able to do that is past. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say networking is the solution to that, but point being, so that's where that came from. The, as far as the mobile stuff or just like showing stuff to normal people or game designers, I think showing it to like normal people or game designers is probably not the best way to say that. Um, the, the, uh, Showing stuff to just like, you know, whoever, right? Yeah. I think is very useful for you to see how well things are communicating. Okay. Um, and to evaluate your own 
if you're achieving the stuff you wanted to achieve, right, with like a blind taste test or whatever. Um, and that is fantastic. And I would usually get that mostly just at conventions or whatever. Um, the, but as far as the mobile thing, I don't think anything, I think anything that is good on mobile, people, you know, regardless of their spot in the industry, if they're skilled, like they would pick up on that immediately. Um, like in my mind, the only stuff on mobile that people in the industry would have said, or, you know, people like that I get along with the industry where it's like, oh, like, let's talk about game design, let's do this, what's, you know, going to make this better is the stuff that they would not have pointed towards is a lot of stuff in mobile, which I would consider very exploitative and not mechanically interesting, although very okay. successful in its exploitation. You mean like um, the free-to-play isometric type games? Sir? Yeah, with just like okay. layers of currency and buying to improve yourself and like, you know, like buying for, like anytime you can purchase yeah. the ability to like continue or like play again, it's like, well, what what's going on here right like that's not that's not about designing yeah. gameplay systems but, right but that's seeing, about designing money okay but then now you're seeing like some of these triple a companies like they're they're going free to play yes and like you can do free to i don't think yeah, you can do it properly you're right you're like right. specifically on mobile um there's a game called um hero academy okay which is a free to play game and it's done fantastic where it's just you are buying mechanics horizontally right like you start off you can you know it's like a little cutesy chessy thing but you start off you can play as the human team okay. and you can play against other human teams or other orc teams or elf teams or whatever but if you want to play as the orcs or the elves or the dwarves or whatever's in there then you have to buy that but it's like a you know you're opening up more it's kind of like league of legends or whatever right like you're buying another character um which i also think is fine the okay. um like that type of stuff that's free to play it, it's respectful to the play like, like you're purchasing things with value right yeah you're not purchasing this uh shallow like little mental response to something that's more like gambling yeah. Um, but without actually getting money at the end of the day, like you do in real gambling. Yeah. Um, it, it is so unfortunate because, you know, it's funny. I was talking to, I talked to these players and I'm like, well, what do you think would make this game better? And they're like, add that random gambling, you know, what you call a gambling mechanic. It's like they, they want that. And, and like, <laughs> so there is a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about, right? Cause you can yeah. easily generalize away stuff, right? Like there is. There is a randomness and a uncertainty that is alluring to a point, right? Yeah. And like can be interesting because it can say, okay, here is something random. Now deal with the tools at hand because of it, right? Yeah. Like the extreme end of that would be like Spelunky or something, right? Like yeah. here you go. There's a there's a present box. I, I never opened the present box, but like <laughs> the... Uh, not because it's the randomness, but just, I think, the usefulness of it. But, like, it's like, here's this thing. 
you could spend money on it and there's a chance, you know, you might get a jetpack out of it or maybe you get, you know, a web shooter and whatever. Um, the, but it's like, get this thing and now it's created an interesting choice for you and adjusted how you play. And it's not there just for uh, maintaining addiction. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what to think because I feel like it, as, um, you know, because the, the reason why I'm, I'm fascinated by this is because it is nice when you can make a game that, um, you know, has, has good success, financial success, but it also gives you peace of mind. You know, and I see, and I see what's happened. It's like I don't know if you're familiar with Social Casino, but no. it's like this huge, or I mean, it's a decent part of the games industry where all it is is slot machines, and they've just, you know, they've, and and so, and people are playing these things like crazy, and and it's like, and and the people who are who are doing who are making these slot machines are making a killing versus someone who who is trying to, you know, innovate and pioneer new mechanics and systems. And, and I don't know, I, I, I think it's, I, okay. Anyways, I guess this is just a, a tangent, but it's just like, how do you balance like these addictive mechanics that, that seem to at least, well, I guess like you were saying before, that can draw people into the game, but they may not even stay because, because the rest of the game doesn't work for them. Yeah, it's. I don't. Know. <laughs> I mean, it's no, very. What? It's a very hard thing with a subtle line. Like, it, for me, like if it's, you know. I mean, your game definitely has none of that. But I'm just wondering well, what. It's, so you, it, it's interesting, right? Like yeah. the, so if we talk specifically about my game when it launched, um, there's absolutely none of that. There was a little bit of. Like when you played a level in Versus, you would unlock the next level. When you played a level in Arcade, once you earn enough points, you'd unlock the next thing. But it was, it was a predictable unlock. And the only reason it was there was to sort of guide you through the complexity a bit. So you didn't like start off on a level that was just going to like break your brain. And it would just sort of like slowly introduce you to more and more um, like more complex maps or like uh, strategies that you might have to pursue. Um, and it also just it it's interesting because like initially I didn't have any of that because once you put it in, you start spiraling into this big problem where you now have an endpoint. Yeah. And without it, you have a problem of like, oh, there's nothing here but a game to have fun with, which shouldn't be a problem. But in modern times it is, yeah. right? Like the you're getting it exactly what i was trying to try to point yeah. out so like samurai gun is one of my favorite like single screen multiplayer games and um it just gives you all the levels up front and you just go in play whatever you want and have fun um but you would find i mean i don't know, i haven't talked to them specifically but i would imagine they got a lot of like what am i supposed to do right like they're like i'm not getting rewards for this or whatever yeah, right or no progression or whatever there's no progression um the 
so in verses i did i had it like that for a long time and some people were like yeah i would like to at least like unlock through them so but the problem and i did do it and i'm still not sure if it was the right choice because once you're done with it you you feel like you've finished it right Potentially. and well well because because i've also seen designs where they have that single player mode where you know you go through the, the different steps, but then you also have this this open ended mode too. Yeah, and I mean, like I have like score based stuff on the single player side, and like you can keep pursuing better and better. And but like even if you just look at the competitive side, once you've played every map, there's a sense of like, oh, I've now unlocked all the maps, and each map is full of depth, and because the board's always changing, like you can play them like forever. But had I not had that you would go in up front with a different mindset of like, oh, I'm just here to have fun, right? Yeah. But because it's there, it also makes it seem a little more valuable because you're unlocking through it, which is weird. But at the end of it, it's a bit more, there's this weird point of once you've unlocked them, it took something away from every time you play a map from then on, right? Yeah. Of like, I feel like it's still super fun, but in reference, there was this thing that didn't really mean anything, but it's not there anymore. And it's kind of this bad delta. So I later patched in this thing that I didn't want to do initially. Um, and I did it in a way that I think is that, I, that I'm personally okay with. And it fits under my bar of like the where are you going to stuff that's bad or not bad. And what happens now is, so two things. One, every time you finish, it gives you um, some experience and there's like a level bar down there. And that basically, all leveling does is just reward, like increases the number showing your commitment to this game. And then when you match with people online or look on the leaderboards, you can see like, oh, he's played this game a ton, right? Which is actually kind of useful in some ways to gauge someone's skill level or whatever. Um, but that gives you a little, something keeps increasing at the end, right? And then when every time you level up and also there's a small chance randomly at the end, it'll unlock a cosmetic thing of colors or more little emotes you can use online, like little smiley faces and stuff at the end of the match for a little personalization. None of that affects the game at all. Okay. Um, but the only reason it is, well, so the color thing is, you know, it's fun to play with it. Like there's reasons that stuff's fun, it's personalization and all that. But specifically it is there to try and mitigate that period where I have unlocked everything and now it feels like there's this big delta between like I was unlocking and now I am not. And like for some reason the game, there was too large of a shift there of like what it felt like to play another match. Um, and this sort of mitigates that a bit where you're leveling faster at the start. So you're usually still getting something at the end of a lot of matches. And then that, you know, the level curve goes up but then it can sort of like taper you off of that little yeah. like drip of drugs there of like, oh, I unlocked a thing. I unlocked a thing. Yeah. And I'm trying to ease you out of that mindset and back into the like, I'm here to just like play games and not to complete tasks. And a lot of people when they go in games now expect to complete tasks because it is satisfying as a human. And so many games do it that when you present something without that, it's weird um and it's unfortunate that it's weird but it is yeah 
And and that's really what I was I wanted your opinion on is I mean how do you balance that with kind of working with the nuances of what's working right now in the marketplace, uh, yeah. Along with you know where you want things to go and and what works for for your you know for your design goals and, and your peace of mind and stuff like that. And I guess um, okay, well yeah, so I guess that addresses that. Um, well. So, so in terms of esports, though, did you imagine this thing becoming an esports, or, or I mean, consider no. an esport, or? No, it's, I mean, like, what is an esport, right? Like, I mean, to yeah. me, when you say something's an esport, <laughs> that implies some level of like, well, that's you know, you know heavy like, tournament and popularity or whatever. You know, uh, is one way to view it, right? Like, there's there's like this big uh, organized competition, right? Um, well, I, no, no, no. The, that's that's what people thought it was. You know, things things can change now. Sure. You know, even four or five years ago, the concept of people watching video games more than they're going to be watching real games now was not considered a possibility for a lot of people. Now people see it as inevitable mm -hmm. that what's going to happen is that maybe even football and basketball, all these things are going to go by the wayside potentially. And there will be new e-sports or, you know, e-experiences that will be, you know, will potentially draw in more audience. And and so when you say that there needs to be this big arena or something, maybe that's just not going to be how it plays out, at least for, I'm coming at it from the point of view of, okay, what would an indie developer have to do to make that next provocative sport that at least everyone is aware of, and but not necessarily... Rocky. Yeah, right, right. Like, yeah. And, and so what's interesting, and I was talking about this with another person that I also interviewed about esports, and we were like, okay, what are those design perspectives or design principles that will be relevant for esports games? And I mean, I are, think yeah, go ahead. you can design with a goal of this being fun to spectate. Um, yeah. Well, that's only part of it, right? I mean, there's, there's also nuances and even business model design sure that, that you'd have to do for for an esport or or even yeah like you're saying spectate or or even pick up you know something where you can train and, and practice in a way mm -hmm. that's oh yeah there needs to be a very high skill ceiling right um, yeah but in addition there needs to be a story that plays out on screen and by that i don't mean like a narrative story but a you can see the ebb and flow of what's yeah. happening right um and, and that's another interesting thing is that maybe the esport has to combine the, the story of not only what's on the screen but how the player is moving or reacting now some of them right now at this point it may not matter they're just sitting there in front of a screen whatever but if if there potentially some esports could be more animated where even the player and 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 the reason I bring that up is because the the guy that did Clapper, I, you may have seen that at Indicate. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, um, he was mentioning that everyone has a different style as they clap, and just that movement, you can you can pick up that everyone's got a different style, and that could be part of the something worth watching, mm -hmm. more so than even potentially you know what's what's on the actual uh, computer screen. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to mention that as as another potential design principle for for esport and and indie esport. But I don't know what do you feel there's something else that people need to consider. I mean, 
I don't. So Inverses was made with the goal of making something that was fun for a group of people to play. Um, not there wasn't an extensive goal of making it fun for something to watch. Um, and I think uh, that like, it wasn't something I had actually ever put too much thought into before. I showed the game at Evo. Um, and it's like the big fighting game tournament for anyone that doesn't know. It happens in Vegas. And after going, it was my first time going to Evo and there's like giant and like that after that i started thinking a lot more about like yeah what makes a fun thing for a crowd of people to cheer on um and i was i was drawn to this like 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 usually in a fighting game it's not one hit kills really right like there is there is this progression to it of you know their health bars going down and that's increasing risk you know, different moves, you know, can deliver different amounts of damage and like, but like the lower it gets, the more likely that next thing is going to take them out. And there's this like very clear increase in tension, right? And it makes it very clear when there was a comeback or some sort of risky escape or, you know, like there's like even outside of very technically impressive things that might be hard for someone to just like understand you can always sort of look at that health bar and know like oh this guy's almost gonna get killed and then he came out of it right yeah um and that lends and itself to the story or the narrative that you're, you're it talking. does yeah um yeah and then there's also just like flashy moves and stuff like that and as long as those are in conjunction with things that are useful then it sort of amps all that up um you know in contrast like you could make a jab like have a 10 second cutscene, but be completely pointless. And like, that would not be how you deliver that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so in inverses, if you know what is happening, like, you know how the systems work, there are definitely, there's interesting points of like, you can see someone trapped and barely escape. And there will be, there are times when you show it and like a big crowd gathers and they're cheering and they like, they get that. Right. Um, and then, but there, there is the upfront of like, you have to understand what's happening where it's not as easy as like people punching each other. Um, not that it's like hard to get, but there is a big, yeah. you can't relate to anything really. Um, and then there's the, the one hit kill aspect of it, which uh, I think mechanically is the right thing. Um, but the matches, so it means like that struggle is a lot more technical usually. Um, it's in positioning and stuff like that. And you don't, things can happen like really quick. And it can be very interesting, but they're really quick. And from a spectating perspective, it has a bit less of that um, long-term flow in it, right? Of like, it's it's sort of like you can, constantly like equalize the playing field back out and then it's like let's go again let's go again it's a bit more of a i don't even know i don't know enough well it's really yeah well the way i see it is that the way you have it designed right now it kind of cuts out a class of potential stories that people can can get inspired by Mm -hmm. um which is you know the comeback or whatever else right or 
Yeah, there's more of a near escape, and the comeback is usually only in like if you get down to a two v one, and then you can break back, right? But even then, you're not breaking back to a like. There's a lot more stability before you come out of it, right? Because like once you kill one of those guys, you're now on even ground. It's like you're not still at. The comeback is usually just like you were trapped, and you got out or something but yeah it's not it doesn't have that same narrative quality in the like as easy to follow a narrative like that um until you like really understand what's going on and like you know like in any game right like once you understand it like you can start appreciating so many more subtleties right um and have this emotional response to different moves that were made and why they were smart um, or like feints and stuff. And Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess any other, what, so what, what's next in store then for, for this game or are you going to work on another game or, or what are your thoughts? Sure. So since it came out, I've been doing a bunch of support for it. You know, it's on PlayStation and steam right now um, and been updating, adding, you know, maps to that color system and the level system I was talking about to ways to make it easier to find people online. Um, and there's still going to be continued support for that. Um, right now I'm working on a much bigger update. So it's, there's a little bit of downtime right now as far as like stuff coming out like constantly. Um, and then I would like to get it on some more platforms still. And the once that starts to settle down and it's on more platforms, um, I will probably start on the next thing. Like I want to make another game, obviously. Um, well, maybe, but it's yeah, it's not. hard to. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you want to pursue this more, and you know, and yeah, it's hard to figure out how to like yeah. start blending that, right? Um, yeah, some of it's a financial decision. Uh, you know, and some of it's just like, uh, what stuff do I think could still be pursued? Like I, I have lots of ideas of how to keep like adding to inverses and things that could still be explored and done. Um, and whether that's like you keep doing live support in that game or maybe someday you come back with inverses too, with a bunch of new stuff in it. Um, yeah, it's really that's a very hard call that I am learning to navigate. Like, uh, my plan is to start probably over Christmas break playing with some, either playing with some prototypes on new stuff. Um, just like very, very simple things like kind of like I did with inverses three years ago. Um, and maybe just doing some cleanup on the engine tech of like, and then like yeah that'll give me like a little bit and then just sort of work on inverses some more but have that stuff all you know uh simmer like i I played with a little stuff let it simmer for a few months and then come back to it right um you know as we wrap up i guess what have been some of the more amazing learning lessons of of working you know either in the design aspects of inverses or even the marketing or, or anything else related to it uh, I learned a lot about shipping game. Um, I'd never done the publishing side before, ever. Um, 
And I think I could do that a lot better the next time. Um, there's just like, just from, you know, the process stuff of it to like what timing stuff matters, what options you have available. Um, you know, you just keep learning more and more, especially after it shipped with people, you know, it's like, you just keep meeting people and like t hearing what they did or having people come up to you for like, oh, we should work on this together. And it's like, oh, I already came out, but now I know you're here um, for next time. And like the that whole process as far as like, you know, it was something I had never done before. So that's like probably been the most uh, learning of anything. I think I have a way better idea of how to make a successful online um, sort of experience for a small community now. Like when the game came out, like I've, you know, I said, I've been patching, patching, patching. And a lot of that stuff has been like improving how matchmaking works and how that flow is to make it easier to find and play with people. Um, it's got a, you know, versus uh, as far as like the online community goes, it's, depending on the time of day, like it's easier or harder to find matches. And had I upfront made that a lot easier, the initial burst of players might've got more engaged in online in the long term. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and there's like so many things like everything from like one example is like in the recent patch, after you play like two out of three versus games online, it forces you to find a new player where previously you could just keep playing together for as long as you wanted, which meant, you know, there could always be someone out there just waiting for someone's match to end, right? Um, okay. And then they would bail out because it's like, hey, it doesn't seem like anyone's playing. Maybe there were people playing. They were just in like an hour-long game together, right? Yeah. Um, so now it cycles that. And had I up front had it cycling like that, a lot of those people probably got an initial impression of like, oh, you can't find people online. But the um, people who are playing together, won't they get upset if, if they're just playing their friends or something and well you can always play a private match right okay i got you but when you're in the public matchmaking it just forces it to cycle more often now to like keep getting people in so you're not waiting as long and stuff and like just like layering all those things together if i made another game that was multiplayer focused like i would have such a better like baseline to ship with um which would be interesting but yeah Lots of stuff. And I guess what are maybe your top three suggestions for other indie developers who want to be really good at their field, you know, at their craft and, and want to do like an innovative or creative game? Um, I mean, it depends on your goal is, right? Like if you are trying to make something that is going to be like you're either looking at it like I want to be commercially sustainable or I just want to improve myself so that I can then you know go work somewhere on wherever right and be like sustainable in the aspect of I could always find a job because I have this cool portfolio right yeah um, and I think for the latter one, you, you want to make something that's going to be fun to make and fun to play again and again. Um, a, like a good thing with Inverses uh, is 
because I designed something where the game changes every time you play, I am still able to play the game and have fun because the level is different every time based on how you fight. And it is not like playing the same. I, like I can still be entertained by the game, which is really hard to do after you've worked on something that long. And I, I wanted to make something that would be fun to play. Like if you make a, something that's narrative based, you're not going to want to play your game. Um, you're going to be sick of your game and you're going to hope other people like it. It's going to be this passionate output, but you might hit a point where it gets a lot harder to keep working on it and finish it um, compared to making something that's like built to be replayable or fun. Um, that's, I mean, for me, that's always a thing I consider as far as like, how do I make something that I will go through with and not regret at the end of it? Um, so basically a game that you enjoy playing as you're developing it. Yeah. And you enjoy making, yeah. um, especially if you want to come out of it, like there, if you're making something, especially in today's indie market, there is a very, it's a very risky thing to do, right? Financially. So at the end of it, you want to come out with something that whether you did amazingly or not or whatever it's a thing you're you still think should have gotten made right and a thing you you enjoyed that process because you don't want to be at the end and be like oh that much time i just wasted on this thing that i hate now and like that's not going to be a good mental state right um and that you know the more people you're working with the more that gets mitigated um but if you're doing something like like I am where it's like this solo project. Like I, I very was like cautiously said, like I'm going to make something that I feel needs to be made. And at the end of it, it's going to, no matter how well it does, there are things that it's going to do that are, you know, unique and different and merit its existence. And I, it's going to be a thing that you can play again and again um, and it's not something that's just going to like disappear that day it comes out from my life or whatever. Yeah. And finally, you know, you've, you've been on the AAA spectrum. You've been on the indie spectrum. What, um, what are your thoughts on where indie game development is going to go or, or where it's going? Um, I mean, I think the, all the engines and tools you have available to you now, are a blessing and they curse in that they make it a lot easier to make stuff that looks really good um, and a lot easier to make stuff that plays really bad and a lot easier to just make stuff that can be shipped. So that's why we have this big flood of games that didn't used to be there of what it is hard to find the good ones in there, right? Because like it used to be, you could kind of look at something and be like, I can just tell, <laughs> like, visually or something. Like, that hit some quality bar. That implies there were a lot of skilled people working on that, and that probably translates outside of just the picture, right? Yeah. Um, and you can't do that anymore. So 
being able to stand out in that crowd is extremely hard because either you have to take that visual aspect to 11 um, to stand out amongst everyone still. Um, you know, like I think, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like if you look at like Firewatch or The Witness or something, right? Like you look at those and they're like, wow, these are aesthetically just gorgeous. Um, I don't know much about the game itself yet, maybe. But it's they're they have enough of an art style that is cohesive, but also like a technical stuff backing it up. Where it's sort of I feel like you look at those and they separate from um, a lot of just like you know we have all the shaders turned on in Unreal type games. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, those match up with like oh, there's something here that's you know going to be worthwhile playing for a lot of people too right um and it's hard to you know where like if you looked at to not to pick on jonathan blow right now but just or not not pick on but just keep pointing towards him but like if you looked at braid i think today braid coming out would have a much harder time because you know braid was able to come out in this space where it was hey it's cool it's like this 2d thing it looks decent and then like there's this amazing mechanical depth to it um and like finding that part of it is a lot harder now without having the the aesthetic side really like nail into nostalgia or just some you know some aspect to really like separate you. Um, so I think ga- like any scene's gonna have to just keep pushing harder and harder for stuff to get noticed. Like I, I don't know where it goes. It's it's very it's in a weird spot right now where there's so much stuff out yeah you know and i cannot find the good it's very hard to find the good stuff maybe, it's out there yeah or maybe it's just you know not only do you have to make a good indie game it has to be at the right time you know oh for I was, sure i was even thinking like three years or four years ago where it's just like people were still not i guess most of the developers didn't understand that they could make a very commercially viable like successful indie game Mm-hmm. And and once people caught on to that and they picked on onto it and you saw this like so many more people coming out with stuff then then I guess it it does definitely become even even if the games coming out now are even better than three or four years ago it's the window of opportunity yep um, but or maybe there is no window of opportunity and the and and a really awesome game is going to find a way regardless um, maybe um, it's hard right like I yeah. the like I point to like Samurai Gun, right? I mentioned that before. Is like I think that is a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, I don't think it like did amazing, right? Like I don't know if it did terrible or anything, but I don't, I don't hear about Samurai Gun having. You know, it's not like Meat Boy or something, right? Yeah. Like it, um, yeah, it's a good and Meat Boy has got a lot more depth to it. So like you can't compare things like that. But point being. I play Samurai Gun, and I would love to be able to say confidently, like, this did insanely well for them because it just it plays so good, and I think it is like a really fun and it's it's interesting, and um, but it probably there's a lot less interesting games that do a lot better now, um, just because they're hitting the market of what people want or yeah it's 
Like, honestly, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it's something to, to keep in mind. It's like, well, I guess, I guess there will always be games that break out, but, but also there, there is that nuance of timing too. Um, on top of all the other systems and game design and stuff like that, that you need to also have down. So, um, yeah, you need, you need to have hooks on all levels. Right? Yeah. No, that's, um, I guess that's the best way to put it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I guess that's it. So thanks again for your time. And once again, where can listeners find out more information about the game? Potentially check it out. Yeah, it's uh, inversesgame.com on Twitter. It is inversesgame. Um, and then I'm Ryan Juckett. You can look me up wherever. And uh, yeah. Great. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Yep.